God is God all the time, right? You know, God's doing some great things in this fellowship here and abroad. Uh, he's been able to deliver our people out the, out the blizzard. And, huh? Amen. Good to have you guys back. How many in here, don't lie now, do Facebook or text or email? Well, my message today is uh, all uppercase. You know, suppose you got an email from a, a co-worker that you had just been to a Christmas party or something. And uh, the co-worker, the email goes like this. Um, you acted very bad last night. Okay, now, we can take that several ways, right? It can mean that the guy was funny, you know, it could mean this. But if we got the message and the word very bad was in all uppercase, and it was bold and underlined, it'd have a different meaning, right? Besides that, he copied everybody in the, in the company. So, the emphasis was on his expression. This guy was upset, right? So, we relate that, we could relate that, that email to uh, the uppercase to be negative, but it's not necessarily always negative. I mean, we could take these two guys here. If Justin sent Ella a text, and he says... I love you. And you could expect Ella to send something back like, oh. Right? But if he sent that text and the word love was in all uppercase, it was in bold, underlined, red, and just flashing, you know, she would send about six paragraphs back to him to respond. To that. Because the emphasis was on where his heart's at. And my question to you today if your life and your walk today was an email to God or from God, what would be in uppercase? What would be the emphasis put on in your life? Would it be God's will? Would it be all the things you've done and accomplished through your own strength? Leave me out. <clears throat> the, the message today is, um, is entitled, All Uppercase. And um, it's in the If you turn with me to Jeremiah, chapter 29, we're going to start in verse 4 through 11. But just as an extra note here, 
In 29 verse 1 it says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent to the tribe in Israel. In other words, God's been texting a long time. Huh? <clears throat> this, this is a story about how the Hebrews was in exile out of Jerusalem in the Babylon. All of them didn't go. Jeremiah stayed there. But he sent this letter to those that was in exile. And from chapter 4 through verse 11, I'm a, I'm a planner, scheduler by trade. And this is a perfect example at a high level plan of what outline, if you will, of what God would have us do as Christians here on earth. <clears throat> so let's read it and then we'll break this thing down. All right. He says, This is what the Lord Almighty God of Israel says to those that are carried into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. He said, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity um, of the city of which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are, they are prophesying lies to you in, in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you. And fulfill the gracious promise to bring you back to the place, uh, to the place, for I know the plans, to this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. <clears throat> now, if we read that whole story, where is he, Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah, is putting the emphasis, the uppercase. He's telling them, okay, you got to do these things. But remember that you're in exile. And that the emphasis is not going to be on the 70 years that you're here. The emphasis needs to be on the 70, what's after the 70 years. When I bring you where I'm calling you. When I fulfill the promise and Fulfill the plans that I have for you. 
Now, how does this relate to us? Chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against the soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. <clears throat> so he's telling us that we're lined up with, we can relate to these guys that in exile in Babylon. And when we think about they were outside of the place God promised them they're going to be, and the place that they were in was only temporary. That's where you are. You know, this word today, it's not like a lot of words we can say, okay, that's for, for your neighbor, that's for this one, that's for this. This word today is for you. So if you think I'm preaching to you, you're right. But I'm preaching to myself as well. <clears throat> you know, it also relates to us in the 70 years because in, in Psalms 90, it says our, our days, a man's life is 70 years or 80 if he's strength, if he's strong. Depends on his strength. But... <clears throat> So this outline that we're talking about here, this outline that we're talking about is a high-level plan that God has for our life here on earth. Um, you know, we have a tendency to focus on the situations that we're in, whatever that is. Right? The consequences of that or circumstances we're in. But here he's telling us, and if we need we need to take this to heart, is that he's telling us not to focus on the seventy years, but we focus on what's after that. You know, pastor preaches about the two trees. The trees in generation, I mean in, in, in Genesis, and the uh, tree of life in the New Jerusalem in, in uh, Revelations. And the life, our lifespan is in between the trees. We know very little about what was going on or what happened before the tree in the Garden of Eden. And we know even less about what's going to happen in the, the Jerusalem to come. But we know this, that if we concentrate on our own circumstances and not prioritize our life to where we will be there, be in and do the will of God, we'll, we could miss the mark altogether. And the devil is notorious about getting us sidetracked. Anybody get sidetracked? Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and all of y'all are working. Yeah. You know. 
You go upstairs to put something up there, and you forget what you went up there for? No. Okay, nobody had that problem. <clears throat> so... Back in um, Jeremiah 29, we're looking verse 5. It talks about building a house and settle down. <clears throat> you know, and we relate that, you know. In, in, in my life, I've built four houses. And I don't live in any one of them at this moment. But they were all, and I think the pastors of this church can relate to that, they were all built for the glory of God and used for God's glory. But this relates to us in a spiritual house. <clears throat> And the scripture tells us that um, to build, where to build your house? Not to build your house on the sand, but build your house on the rock. Uh, in Acts 7, um, it says that God doesn't live in a house, in a man-made house. He doesn't live in a house of stone. But we have a tendency to get sidetracked when we're letting God build our life, build our house for him to dwell, a place for him to dwell. You know, before Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed for you and me, um, the very presence of God dwelt in a temple, a house made by a man. But when Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed and he said, it is finished, the curtain that separated that very presence of God in that temple from man split from the top to the bottom. And the presence of God, because of the blood took away the sins of the world. The presence of God doesn't dwell in that house anymore. It dwells in the the house of the man and the heart of those who accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Amen? So this house that we're talking about building, we're relating to this, is a place in the temple of God. As the scripture says, and we are the temple of God. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Turn with me to um, Haggai chapter 1, verse 9. You expect, you expected much, but see, but see it turned out to be little. 
What you brought home, I blew away, declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you was busy with his own house. Think about that. We come to the Lord, we accept him as our Savior. But so many of us stop there. So many of us, so many times, we we think we have a mindset that we're going to, we're going to heaven and ride on a cloud, you know, and play all, all our life or whatever. And this church is not guilty of being quite that naive, but <clears throat> the church in a whole is, as a whole. And so, so many times we take for granted when God's trying to do something and build his house in our lives. And let me tell you, you're going to need this because we've already had, had of words about the um, growth of this body it comes from being under pressure. When it turned, when the pressure turned up, we have to be built on the rock. We have to have God in control of our house and not ourselves. But the devil again can. We can get we can get ourselves in such turmoil that <clears throat> well we concentrate more on that than what God's doing in our life. And he's building them. The things he's doing around us that he wants us to intervene and work through. <clears throat> Going stay right there. I'm gonna the next thing he says in uh, Jeremiah is to plant garden, gardens and eat the fruit of them. <clears throat> and this is where we start to see the difference in the church today. We start seeing this when we look at, ha- while we're in Haggai, <clears throat> let's read uh, verse 5 and 6. You still there? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give grateful thought to your ways. What I'm preaching. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you're never filled. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to Put them in a purse with holes in them. Where's the uppercase? What what happened? That the reason we do this is because where we put our emphasis in our life. If if we don't do it to glorify God, it's not a gain at all. Because if we seek the things of the world, we'll never have enough. Turn back with me to uh, Jeremiah, verse 6. 
it says, Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. It says, So that they too may have sons and daughters. It says, Increase in number there and do not decrease. He says, increase in number. Now, there are three families that I know that really took this to heart, and that's the P. Rose. Increase and not decrease the Vincents and the Lambs. <clears throat> I need not say anymore. But <clears throat> he's talking about a whole lot more spiritual than that. <clears throat> But while we're on marriage here, um, he says, notice he says, take, son, take wives for your sons and give your, your, uh, your daughters to marriage. I'm not all against arranged marriages, as long as we stay, <laughs> as long as we stay in there, some amens over here, <laughs> <clears throat> now God gives us directions with that and we can see that in Genesis let's look there well I'm going to just read it in, in Genesis go to Genesis 28 uh, 1 and 3 so Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him do not marry a Canaanite woman Go at once to Padan Aram to the house of your mother's father at Bethel and take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Now we're not, I'm not, you know, saying incest here or anything. Don't get me wrong. But what God is showing in his outline in this scripture is that we are to stay and marry inside the family of God. We don't have any business marrying an unbeliever or a Canaanite in that sense. You know, <clears throat> um, how many times, and Matthew about to that, we've got these young women that come in here and say that, I'm in love. And, uh, you older parents than you, have you ever heard your kids say that? It wasn't funny. I didn't think so. <laughs> well, first question is, is he a man of God? Send him over here. We're going to have a quiz. <clears throat> okay. He has to be a believer. Inside the family of God, I heard people say, well, he's just as meek as a lamb, you know. Just. Well, the same devil that showed him to you to be a lamb can turn him into a lion after you're married. If it's not ordained by God. <clears throat> Increase and don't decrease. And we see that in, in Genesis uh, with Adam and Eve. 
And Noah, after the flood, he said, when Noah, he tells Noah to, to increase and not decrease. And you see that in Genesis 17 with Abraham. But to us, how does that relate to us? And we can look in Matthew 28, verse 19. It's there. Just like that. There. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God wants us to increase and not decrease. He wants us to put to practice His Word. Um, make disciples. You know, here at, at this fellowship, we, we have, uh, that's our goal, that, to, to train up people to go out and do this. And so if we're hard on you sometimes, you know, just, that's just some of the pressure that we preached on earlier. But it's better to have a little pressure and meet the goal that God set for you than not to. The alternative. Because if we seek our own prosperity, if we seek our own goals and our own directions for our life, we will surely lose it in the end. <clears throat> now this is this is where it gets good. In verse 7, it says, Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty God said to Israel. You know what it doesn't say? Correct me if I'm wrong. But it doesn't say, pray for yourself. Pray for your own prosperity. Does it? It says, pray for the prosperity of the city which I've carried you in to exile. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't do that enough. Or as much as I should. Because if it prospers, so do you. And we're not just talking about money here. We're talking about the salvation of those around us. In our communities. In our government. Pray for those. You know... Those of you who've been around here a while, you heard my definition of prosperity. And for the rest of you, I'm going to give it to you again. The definition of prosperity is, and you can write this down, the multiplying of God's investment in you. 
And when somebody makes an investment in somebody, when that investment begins to prosper, we can, Alex will tell us this. When that investment begins to prosper, we reap the benefits of it, but it's not ours. And if we claim it, then we're actually robbing or stealing from what God has invested in us. Let's look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 10 to 13. Now, who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase for your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your what? Of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can keep it for yourself. So you can give generously. On, uh, generously will result in thanksgiving of God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So, what we have, oh, the, the prosperity of God's investment in us is not for us. It's for the righteousness of God in many expressions to thank to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself. What does that mean? That means when we're faithful in the little things, the larger things to be added to it. You know, I heard a sermon one time from a little lady that I never forgot. This was, wow, 30 years ago. And the title of that sermon was that. God doesn't want to know. God doesn't want to know what you're going to do with the million dollars when you get it. He don't want to know that. What he wants to know is what you're doing with the one dollar you have. What you're doing with what you're already blessed with. You know? What you're doing with the five loaves and the fishes that God had for you. Hello. <clears throat> Men will praise God for the obedience uh, that accompanies your, com uh, your confessions of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them with everyone else. So, God wants us to use what we have for his glory. And we're too busy about trying to meet our own needs. You know, we pray for things in our lives, things that we think we need. <laughs> I do it myself. Joel will probably tell you all about But we pray for things that we think we need in our life. 
But too many things do what? Just gets in the way of what God is calling you to do. And he's calling us to be generous to others. He's calling on us to focus not on ourselves, but focus on what happens after the 70 years. Right? You know, I had a, a, a pastor. He told me he was, he was talking to um, a young man. Got to witness to the young man. He came into his storefront. And uh, the young man was all excited. He was in college. And the pastor told him, he said, oh, man, that's great. He said, you're going to go to school? You know, he said, and then what? He said, well, you know, I'll get a job. Really? And then what? Well, I plan on one day I'll settle down and I'll have a family. You know, and and, uh, he said, and then what? He said, well, you know, this kid is in his 20s. You know, he hadn't thought this far. He can kind of overwhelm me here with this. And he says, well, I guess I'll retire one day. He said, you know, I have grandkids and I'll retire. He said, and then what? Well, I guess I'll die. This is where the pastor wanted him to get to. He said, and then what? <clears throat> so many times we, you know, the younger we are, the, the, the less we're concerned with or, or concentrate on what the future is going to be at the end, much less what the future is going to be after death. <clears throat> to me, I remember, whew, it's been a long time, but I remember when I was in my 20s, you know, I, I, I thought I was going to live forever, bulletproof, you know, six foot tall. Um, but <clears throat> when I got 30, I said, hmm, maybe I'm not what I used to be. And, be, and from 30 to maybe 50, I realized every 10 years, I realized that I already felt older every 10 years. <laughs> and when I got from 50, every five years, seemed like a, 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 this thing is closing in. And by the time I got to 60, it's about every three months, I realized I'm getting older. You know, it's kind of like if you're going down the highway 60 miles an hour and uh, uh, you're headed straight for a brick wall and the closing rate of speed is 60 miles an hour. But after you get 60 years old, it's like an 18-wheel is coming the opposite direction at 60 miles an hour. And the closing rate of speed is 120. So it's got the same results, but it's a whole lot faster. That's the way life is. So we don't have, what I'm saying, what am I saying here? I'm saying we don't have enough time in this 70 years to concentrate on or to waste time on ourselves. But you know, 
we kind of been set up by which is in this in this scripture in Jeremiah. In verse It said, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty God says of Israel. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They prophesy lies and I didn't send them. You know any, any church that's been doing that to you? You know, churches today, especially in this country, they do just that. The dreams that we, our desires, give them and encourage them to have, that's what they prophesy on you. What does that mean? That means they're telling you what you want to hear. They're telling you what you want to hear. So we have generations in this uh, country, especially in this country, but it, it's deceiving of the enemy, trying to distract us from life after the trees, okay? From life that God promised us, like he says in here, he's going to take us to the land that he's promised us because he's got a plan for us. We have to do all these things that he talked about, build houses, marry, and all. We have to do all this. But his plan for us is after that, is after the 70 years. You know, uh, and I'm going to close with this. You know, um, Daniel is a perfect example of what our life needs to be. Now we look at what he did, you know, oh well he prayed three times a day, he did but that's not that's not where his uppercase was, okay? Daniel was he managed to be he was the third number three, he was the third third ranking official in the government of the whole known world at that time. How did he get there? He didn't get there by doing what the king wanted him to do. He got there by doing what God wanted him to do. You know, he had something that we're still trying to figure out. Daniel figured out how to live in this world while he was living for God and his righteousness. We have a tendency to try to live our righteousness while we're living in this world or of this world. See what I'm saying? We kind of got it backwards. 
Our uppercase is in the wrong place. You know, I said that little thing about, about my life, about life, and <clears throat> I'm getting closer to that seven anymore because I'm realizing these things. I'm realizing that it's not going to matter what's behind me, what I did. It's going to matter what I did for God and what I allowed God to do in my life. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> now, Daniel wasn't the only one that got this. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a pretty good grip on it themselves. And we're talking about being in a pressure cooker, exactly where they were. But when the king, Nebuchadnezzar, threatened them and said, Now, boys, if you don't bow down and worship me, we're going we're gonna to take a trip to, to, the, to the kennel over here. Fire. Um, <clears throat> and they, what did they say? Did they say, we're going to worship you? No. They said that we know that God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're going to worship God. Now, how could they say that? They could say that because they could see the life after the 70 years. They read Jeremiah's letter. They knew that God was going to take them and answer the, the promise that he made to them. And he made a promise to you. He's made the promise to you. But the promise is not between the trees. The promise is not within the 70 years. So we have to put the emphasis where it needs to be for us to meet our mark and allow God to move in us. Amen. Stand to your feet.